So if you'll just join with me in prayer as we look forward to studying Matthew 21 this morning. Great and glorious God. God that is seated in the heavens has opened up a pathway for us to enter into the throne room this morning. And we understand and we see that the only way to enter into that throne room is through the torn veil that was torn by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we enter into that throne room and it is a glorious, it is a powerful, it is an awe-inspiring scene, Lord God, that we take in. And Lord, we just want to come and be with you this morning. For you are God. You are so amazing and awesome and terrifying and loving and peace-giving and holy. And Lord God, we just want to come into your presence and to know you this morning. We want to surrender our our hearts and our lives, like we sang this morning. Here's our hearts, O Lord. Here's our lives, O Lord. And Lord God, we, we fight, we resist, we kick, and we scream. But Lord God, we want it so badly to fully surrender to you. And Father God, as we study this text this morning, may surrender be upon our lips and upon our hearts and upon our minds and not resistance. And Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we just, we just pray protection over this group and this body this morning as we sit here and as we study your word, Lord God. For the evil one has no place and no authority where your people are gathered together in your name. And Lord God, we need to know, we need to hear from you this morning. We need to be refreshed by the living, holy word of God. We need to have our lives changed by you and our hearts changed by you. For Father, we have thought wrongly of you for far too long. We have thought too weakly of you for far too long. Lord God, may your power, may your might, may your strength, Strength be revealed to us this day, and may our littleness and our weakness be made known. For, Lord God, we know that when we are weak, you are strong, and your power is revealed. Thank you for this word in Matthew 21 to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, we find ourselves on a beautiful and a wonderful week of celebration within the church. This is Passion Week. How many of y'all knew it was called Passion Week? Everybody knew it was called Passion Week? Good. All right. Begins this Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. And what's really cool about how this all lines up is because it actually chronologically lines up with Scripture as Palm Sunday, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, back of a colt, and rides into Jerusalem to the shouts and the praise and the accolades of the people. Uh, 
This week, Jesus will demonstrate his authority and power. And if you've not read, like read Matthew 21 and keep reading all the way through Matthew 26 or 27 this week. Read through that this week. Jesus' power, his authority, his might is put on display. I mean, he throws out money changers for our crying out loud. Just cast them out of the temple. He demonstrates his authority over the house of God. He, he, he curses a fig tree and it dies. He shows authority over creation, but it's, it's not just for the disciples to be reminded once again that, oh yeah, he can calm the seas, but rather he has authority over faith itself. Jesus shows authority after authority after authority after authority this week. He is the king that has come. Yet we have this puzzling thing taking place right here at the, in Matthew 21. And it I'll be just transparent with you this morning. I have struggled with this passage and preaching it in the past. I have struggled with preparing and preaching this passage today. This is kind of a weird thing going on here where Jesus demonstrates that he is the sovereign king. He tells his disciples, hey, Go. There's this, there's, these, there's this donkey, okay, that's tied up, and it doesn't belong to you. This is something we would never tell our kids to do, right? This is, this is like so opposite of what we tell our kids to do. Hey, there's this donkey that's tied up over there. I want you to go untie it without asking, okay? We tell our kids, go ask permission first, right? Jesus says, no, don't, don't ask for permission. And, and if the gentleman or the owner comes out and he says, hey, what are you doing? You see even my donkey, and they're there to say, hey, the master has need of it, and it's going to be okay. Now, how many of you, if you were given those kind of instructions, might have a little question mark in your mind if you were thinking about this? Like, really? He's really just going to be like, yeah, go ahead, take it. The master has need of it? What? Does he even know it's going to be Jesus, right? I mean, he doesn't even say Jesus has need of it. The master has need of it. And so the disciples go out, and I love the the portion of the text where it says, and things happen just as the way Jesus said it would. So Jesus is just setting up as we move into Jerusalem. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign king. And he does this to fulfill a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. And that was read this morning. And it says, say to the daughter of Zion, verse 5, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. So so again, Jesus is in fulfillment of the scriptures. He's the great prophet. Not only does he prophesy perfectly, he fulfills scripture perfectly. He's the great prophet. And, And so here he is. He demonstrates his sovereignty. He demonstrates what a great prophet he is. And coming in, and the people respond with this Hosanna, Hosanna. And you're like, sweet, the knuckleheads are getting it, right? The knuckleheads have seen Jesus' power, his might, his authority, demonstrated over over sickness, over the spiritual realms. He's done all this, and people are finally going to start worshiping him for who he is. But yet we see a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 27 that they really didn't get it. Instead, they say, crucify him what's going on i'm going to get my volunteers up here if i get the weir family up here 
if I could get Kathy Jones up here. Elijah, I didn't ask you, but you're coming up anyways. Um, you can do that when you're... And I'm going to grab two of my elders. Steve and John, you're sitting right next to each other. I'm going to get you guys up here. All right. So we're gonna, I'm going to put the Weir family right here. Kathy, I'm going to put you right here. Elijah, you're going to go right here. And, and you guys are last. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you guys today. I hope that's okay. All right, great. All right, very good. So I want to set the stage for kind of doing some visual illustrations this morning. Are the Jews owning or having kingship over their own political state? No. Who's who's overseeing? Rome. Okay. So they're under Roman oppression right now. So you need to understand Caesar in Rome is king. So let's just imagine the people that you see up here are back in that age and back in that day. So the first thing you need to understand is their lives are not their own. They belong to the king. According to the Roman perspective. So what does that look like in practical living? Great wheat farmer right here. Okay, He's actually an orchardist, so this kind of works out well. right? Bad season of crop. The Romans are coming around to collect the taxes. In fact, Herod wants a bigger palace, so they've raised the taxes. He can't pay them. He begs and he pleads. But he can't pay them. He says, well, I'll have a better harvest next year. Let me have it this hard. I need, if you take my land, I can't do it. They said, fine, we won't take your land. We'll take your daughter. She now belongs to Rome, never to see her family again. Thank you. Single mom, woman, means she can't own land. Her husband has just recently passed, so she just lost the land. Guess what to do? Taxes are due on her land, too. She can't pay taxes, and she doesn't even own it, but she's still having to pay taxes. They take her daughter, and she is now placed into slavery herself to serve the rich. Everything stripped from her. Young man. Looks like he works out a little bit. Strong guy. The legionnaire comes by. He is short soldiers. Some, some Jewish rebels just offed a couple of his soldiers. He's in new, need of new soldiers. He sees Elijah on the street and he says, you're mine. You're going to become a legionnaire. You're going to become part of the Roman army. He's taken from his family. He's taken from his home never to see them again. Where is the hope in the region? Well, possibly it's through the religious leaders. The religious leaders reminding them that, you know what, it may look like the Roman government's in control, but they're really not. Like God is still king, God is still Lord. But instead, sorry, I'm picking you guys on here, right? But instead, the religious leaders, what do they tell them? The religious leaders, instead of reminding them of the goodness and the grace of God, they heap more burdens upon them by saying you need to be people of religiosity and ritual. And they themselves keep power to themselves because they tell the Roman government, you want to keep them from revolting, keep 
us happy. Thank you all so much. Thank you very much for doing And then all of a sudden, there's this, there's this man that comes onto this scene. His name is Jesus. And we know him as fully God, fully man. And he comes onto the scene and he is calming the sea. He's casting out demons. He's causing people to go from lame to walking, blind to seeing, mute to speaking, deaf to hearing. He's doing all these powers. When the religious leaders try to trip him up, he can't be tripped up. He's got a right, proper answer for everything they have to say, for he understands the word of God. He understands the intention of the law, and he brings it to the surface. With all this heartache and pain and hurt going on in that world, could you only imagine why they cry out, Hosanna? Here comes this guy who seems to have all power, all authority. And they know that from the line of David, there is this one that's promised that will be the Messiah, that will be the king. And in their minds and in their hearts, they want a king. They don't care if, they, if there's going to be taxes for that king, but they want a king that will end the Roman oppression and will stand up there them and kick out the Romans and have this kingship and this authority and this political kingdom established. And then to their benefit, I would say they don't even know or haven't even really addressed because their religious leaders haven't spoken of it, that the real kingship they needed wasn't a political kingship, but rather a kingship upon their own hearts and lives. You see, they're right in their statement. They're they're right as they, they proclaim this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And if you read other accounts in the other gospels, I believe it's in Mark's account where they say the son of David. They recognize that he is from the line of David. They are right in their understanding of this up to a point. But they, what they want is they want a political king, not a king that oversees their hearts and their lives. believe this is demonstrated in their excitement in seeing Jesus come in. What a scene it had to have been. And I mean, can you imagine only the disciples? They're, they're walking in behind Jesus as Jesus is riding on this colt. Very humble, very lowly. He's not like Caesar who mounts a black stallion and, 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 and all of his soldiers are marching behind him in mass formation with weapons and, and, and just showing this power and force, Jesus humbly comes in. He's not come to establish himself as an earthly king. He's come to establish himself as the king of people's hearts. Humble and lowly, the servant enters into Jerusalem. Up until yesterday morning, or Friday morning, I think it was maybe, Having two months to prepare a sermon is a bad thing. <laughs> um, 
I had it all manuscript out. I had it all typed out. I was ready to go. And I'm sitting with Christy, and we've got a little spot in our room where we spend time with God. And I'm in prayer with God, and all of a sudden, I just feel like the Spirit's pressing in on me. And I get done with this prayer time, and I turn to Christy, and I said, this isn't about false worship. They're getting part of this right. It's about need-based worship. They think their need is a political king, but they don't understand that their greatest need is not rescue from the Romans, but rescue from true evil, from true oppression, rescue from the pit of hell. They need to believe in Jesus Christ and have him be ruler and reign over their hearts so that they can be rescued in the midst of their circumstance. Because truly what's hopeless about this situation here by the wares, imagine if they didn't believe in God. That's a truly hopeless situation, but, but, but change that situation. If the Lord is king of their hearts and their lives, and as their daughter is taken away, it hurts to an nth degree. But they look at that and they go, Jesus loves her. And he have her in the palm of her hands, and she's going to go, and she's going to serve God, and she's going to proclaim the gospel of God in, in that place. And we know even though if we may never see her again on this earth, we will see her again in the heavenly places. And we know that God will use her for his glory. And this is somehow, in some way, which we can't understand for our good. The same way with Kathy. Loss of a hus husband and, and, and heartache and broken over that loss. And now having everything stripped from her. And, and then being sold off to pay for her taxes. And if she is without God, it is devastating. It is without hope. But if she is with God, she knows that God can use these circumstances and situations for his glory, that in the household that she works and serves, as it is mentioned in the scriptures, slaves, be obedient unto your masters as unto the Lord. And she serves faithfully and lovingly and brings the light of the gospel to a dark place that would not have been reached had she not gone through this hardship. Elijah, soldiers are rough individuals. Roman legionnaires, Roman soldiers especially. And if Elijah is not a child of God, he just goes to join the depravity of a hundred men doing unmoral and horrible things to the people that they rule over. But if he is a child of God, he brings the ethics, the morals, the character of God into a very dark place, the Roman army. And though he misses his family greatly and yearns to be with him, God has moved him to a place to be his light. You see, when God is upon the throne, 
We correctly see the world and we correctly worship God, not out of a need that we feel we have, but out of our true need that we need to be rescued from the evil of this world, from our own selfishness and our own depravity. You see, they're correct. The king has come. And someday the king will return and he will establish his earthly reign and the heavens and the earth. Francis Chan, when we were there at the training, he took us through Hebrews chapter 12, not the first part, the last part of it. Where it talks about that the heavens, you you thought it was crazy when the earth was shaken at Mount Sinai? Wait till Jesus comes back and he shakes the heavens and the earth and it's destroyed and his new kingdom is established forever. Praise God. But we don't see that yet. But his kingship has come how? Through his kingdom. Well, where is the kingdom of God right now? With us. Brothers and sisters, the church is the kingdom place of God. Why do you think the evil one loves to destroy it, tear it up, split it, blah, 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 right? Because it is the kingdom of God here on this earth. And the king is supposed to, he's head of the church, and he's supposed to be king of our hearts and lives. And, and this, is, this kingship thing we don't understand because we're a democracy. And you know what? Democracies are great, but they're really lousy for, for churches. Because we get this false understanding that's about my personal opinion. I'm going to tell you something, and I say this with the greatest amount of love. And it's something that I got to discover on my sabbatical in the deepest of ways. God don't give a hang about my personal opinion. He's king. And he's Lord. And if he's issued it in his word... It stands true, and it's full of authority. So you can take your opinions, we can take our little side thoughts, and we can put them in the garbage bag. Because he don't care. I don't think we've said that enough. God doesn't care about our opinions and about what he said in the scriptures. He's king. He's Lord. He's master. He's God. And God just rode into Jerusalem. And he's come to show and to demonstrate that he has all authority over sin and death. And next Sunday, when we we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, if you think I'm fired up now, wait till next week. Because the full power of God is just going, boom, it's like Superman. When he rips open his shirt, you see the little S. But when God rips open his shirt, nobody can see and everybody's hitting the deck. When Jesus gets up and walks out of the grave, the full power, authority, and revelation of God, things that were hidden away in the mysteries of the Old Testament, things that were tucked away that people didn't understand, were revealed in one shot, one opening. The earth shakes, rocks bounce, and Jesus walks out. And the authority of God is put on display. And do you honestly think the Father who sits upon the throne... And when we enter in through, what is it that we enter into the throne room with through? The blood of Christ. Do you honestly think the father who sacrificed his son 
And the only way you enter into his throne room is through that blood and veil of Jesus Christ. Do you honestly think he really cares when you enter in through that veil that cost him everything what your opinion is on his authority and his might and his power? It cost him his son to love you. And he did it. He loves you. He delights in you. And he's not doing it begrudgingly. But let's not forget who he is. He's God. You see, I had been playing patty cake with God for far too long. God was convicting my heart of sin and brokenness. And I thought, I thought I could manage my sin. I thought I could sit there and not repent when he convicted my heart to repent. And I thought I could remain faithful as as I manipulated God to be what I wanted him to be and not the person he needs me to be, a fully confessional, repentant person who's fully given over to God. And I lay on the floor of the monastery and you can think whatever you want, okay? You'll think Scott's gone charismatic. Cool. All right, whatever. I'm laying there on the floor because God has just said and revealed my sin to me and I am, I can't I can't do anything but get face down on the floor and I feel like the foot of God was on my back and he said, you're not getting up until you surrender to me. All authority is mine. It's not yours. Your sin is junk. It's broken. It's not to be manipulated. It's not to be played with. It's not to be flirted with. You're supposed to run from it. You're supposed to flee from it, Scott. And he broke me. And it was beautiful. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us You just finished one of the most powerful books in the New Testament. And I'm a little heartbroken and I don't know what to do with this. But last week when your elders who worked faithfully and diligently in the word, prepared the word and brought you, asked you for questions. And there wasn't a single question regarding the book of Acts. Are you kidding me? They're good preachers. But they're not that good. They answered every single question you had regarding Acts. Really? Well, maybe the reason we didn't have questions, brothers and sisters, is because we didn't read it. Because we weren't in it. We weren't wrestling with it. Brothers and sisters, this ain't a joke. This is the kingdom of God. Look, Look around you. People are going to hell. This morning, four more people dead in tornadoes in Texas. People can't afford to live in houses because the housing prices are going off the, off the charts. Moms with kids are being kicked out of their homes because the rent went up on them. People are hurting around us. The needs are great. And people need to know, yes, your physical needs are important. But let me tell you what, you're going to be able to go through those physical needs a whole lot better and see things a whole lot clearer if you have Jesus in your life. And we need to be that for people. We need to be going out and we need to be carrying that message. But the greatest apologetic for God's kingship upon our lives, you know what the greatest apologetic is to reach the lost? Anybody. What's the greatest thing that reaches the lost? It's out of 1 John. Our love for one another. By our love for one another, others will know 
Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. So if we truly want to meet and go into the community and bring the gospel to the community, we got to first love one another. We've got to love one another enough to say, is Jesus king of your life? I had a conversation with someone this week I love dearly. And uh, they've got a relationship that they're in, and, and, and some of you are going to try to figure this out. Please don't. But it was just beautiful in, in that I was reminded of a time and a place in my life where I put other things upon the throne of my heart. In the first year of my marriage, it was my wife. If you ask her about the first year of marriage, it's not something we look back on fondly. I was an overweight, acne-filled lineman who's smart, no self-esteem, was a Christian, and all of a sudden this beautiful girl paid attention to me, said yes to marrying me, and I made her my God. And I made the world revolve around her. So everything she did, everything, I, w- I was under the examination of the microscope, and if she didn't say it was a good day in a certain way, or a certain, then all of a sudden I was all over it going, really, what happened? Because you, you don't, and she's like, it was a good day. Like, chill out. I remember when I was lying in bed in Iraq, and just came, fear came washing over me that I would never see my children again. And I began to weep and I began to cry out and I began to, I was so terrified. And in that moment, God was revealing to me that my children are on the, on the throne of my heart. Because even if God takes them home to be with Him, it is for His glory and my good. And for his kingdom to further grow. You see, right now, one of our dear friends, Reuben, is suffering. I would ask that you not take away from his suffering. And how do we take away from someone's suffering? It's not fair. It's not right. He doesn't deserve this. The king has said, Reuben, you get cancer. And the king said, you will glorify my name. And if you have spent any time with Reuben, you will hear a man who is glorifying his name. Let us not take away from his suffering. For God is good. And Reuben will tell you that God is good. Just because things are hard doesn't mean he's not king. Just because someone gets diabetes. Just because someone's born with Down syndrome. Just because, and you name it. God is king, and he is a good 
king. And he loves you. How do we know he loves us? He sent his son to ride in on a colt into Jerusalem to be falsely worshipped, to be six days later told, crucify him. That is our king. To quote the famous preacher, do you know him? Is he your king? You see the crowds in Matthew 27 were given the opportunity to choose between Barabbas and Jesus. Barabbas was this really despicable person. Text seems to indicate he could have been a rapist, he could have been a murderer, he could have been a thief, he could have just a really bad guy. And we sit here and we go, how could the crowds, how could the crowds choose Barabbas? Like Jesus had healed their, their neighbors, their friends, their relatives. Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave. How could they yell? Jesus said, and, and as I think about that, as I contemplate that, I'm convicted in my own heart. When all the time I'm choosing Barabbas in my own heart, every time I take Jesus off the throne of my heart, and I choose my opinions, my wants, my desires over his authority, over his rule, and over his reign of my life. All of a sudden, I'm not pointing fingers at the crowd anymore, going, how could you do that? I'm going, I do that every day. And I rejoice that he went to that cross. And he spread out his arms, and he said, it is finished and the many times that I choose Barabbas over Jesus many times I choose myself others things that I want over Jesus it was placed upon the innocent son of God Not so that I could keep doing it, but so that I could be set free from it. So that the Holy Spirit can convict us. Brothers and sisters, um, we have recognized something that's a struggle in our own family. This idea of being quick to repent and confess. If the Holy Spirit convicts your heart of a time you took Jesus off the throne or maybe even right now you're recognizing I'm worried about this, I'm anxious about this. Let me tell you, why is worry and anxious so bad? Because Jesus is off the throne of your heart. Because if he was on the throne of your heart, fear and anxiousness, you would see his authority and you would recognize. Now I got it, there are some times that people get depressed and people, and I'm not, you know, and there, there's, there's clinical things going on and there's, there's chemical imbalances and they need further help. But I think for the vast majority of things, our fear and our anxiousness is derived from the fact that Jesus is not on the throne. And, we, and you know what? 
He's not sitting here going, you suck. You took me off the throne again. He's sitting here going, I'm standing right here. My grace is sufficient. Confess, repent, put me back on. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be put right back on the throne of your heart. But he's also telling us, and don't miss this, he is the good shepherd of the sheep. And the good shepherd of the sheep carries a nice long crook with him. And the good shepherd of the sheep is like, you think you're going to go a long time without me on the throne of your heart. That's my throne. No one else gets to be on that throne. That's my throne. I will take back my throne. And he will reach out his nook and he will get our attention. Because he's a good God and he knows the most important thing that we can have in this lifetime is him upon that throne. Because every minute he's not upon that throne is a wasted minute of our lives. It's a life, it's a minute that we don't get back for eternity. I think the heart of this, this group of believers is, is to have Jesus upon your throne of your heart. But it's time. It's time we start surrendering. It's time we start laying it all down before Jesus. And this Good Friday is going to be radically different. It's going to be a departure from what we've done in the past. There's not going to be a band. You're going to come into this room. The lights will be dim as they normally are for Good Friday. We're going to be in circle. So we call circle time, right? And let me tell you what, I'm looking for a few courageous Christians that want to come in and that before their brothers and sisters want to say, God, I've taken you off the throne of my heart here and I confess that before you and before my brothers and sisters and I want you back on the throne of my heart. You see, I believe there's something freeing I know there's something freeing when the truth is brought to light because the evil one has no more authority over that sin because we're not hiding, skulking around about it and trying to manage it. It's now brought to light and we as brothers and sisters can gather around and we can pray for one another and lift one another out. But sin loves darkness. And so that's what we're going to do. And some of you like just like checked out a Good Friday service. And it's scary, I get it. I hope not. I hope not. We're just going to come together. We're going to sing some songs a cappella. I told Glenn, no guitar. And then I reverted back on guitar. And then I said, no, no guitar again. So we're back to no guitar. We're just going to come in here and we're going to sing some songs a cappella. I'm going to say a few words and then we're just going to dive into this confession time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of us are going to end up on our knees, maybe face down before God weeping. And that'll be beautiful because that's what Good Friday is all about. Our sin put him there. Our cries of crucify him. I mean, we say, oh, we'd never have said that. Are you kidding me? Every time we choose something else over his kingship, isn't that what we're doing? We're choosing Barabbas over Jesus? And so that's what we're going to do on Good Friday, 7 p.m. Friday night. We're just going to circle it up and we're going to break it down. And we're going to get on our knees and we're going to get real with God. Our elders had an amazing elder meeting and we've got a real burden Real burden for you all this year. And that burden is that every single person of Living Stone Church will be a disciple maker. 
and that we'll just pursue Jesus with all of our lives and we want him to rule and reign. And, and, and so that means that we've got to create an environment for disciple making. What does that look like? I don't know, but it's God's, the Holy Spirit's moving. And God, God is, is shaking up our hearts and our lives so that we can fully pursue him. Tonight, at my house, at 6 p.m., y'all are invited. And you're like, we can't all fit. You want to make a bet? <laughs> don't, don't, challenge, don't challenge a guy who loves packing vehicles for, like, it won't fit. Uh, you know, I, I'm known to tie things to the roof of the car. Um, and I got other plans. Again, this is not mandatory. This is only if this is something that the Spirit is like, yeah, this would be good for you. Or, yeah, this is, this is good. Is, is one of the greatest things that Christy and I got to experience down in San Francisco was, was every morning we would do an hour to hour and a half of nothing but adoring God. No requests. No supplication. Just adoring God. And I was challenged by, y'all, we all watched that Francis Chan video last year. Okay, remember that? And, and he talked about his elder, one of his elders, when he was in prison, he had F.U. tattooed on his eyelids. Remember that? Remember that? He was our elder that oversaw the training. You want to talk about a man that just pours out Jesus? When he quoted scriptures, it was his left, he'd lived that scripture that week. No formal training. Just loves Jesus. And he led us into this beautiful time of adoring God. And he challenged us with this. He said, if you were to stand up in front of us right now, And just, we ask you to lead us out in just adoring God. How long could you go? Just adoring God. Like praising him for who he is. And man, my heart, I was like. Oh. But at the next three days that we got together, that's all we did for hour, hour and a half. We adored God. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. 6 p.m. at my house, we're just going to adore God. There's going to be no drinks, no beverages, no coffee, no tea, no cookies, no nothing. It's just if you need water, bring your own water bottle, cool. We're going to come together. We're going to sit down, kneel down, however God leads, and we're going to adore God. So if that sounds something like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. My soul could really use that right now. I would love to have you. 6 p.m., our house. Our kids are going to be part of it. Um, Kira is going to be a part of it. She is, Kira's 10, okay? So she's going to be a part of it. So if you're like, is like if, put that in your category, like it's not about, we understand kids are kids. They may be a part of it for 10 minutes and they may bolt, they may be part of it for three minutes. They may bolt. We got toys in the other room, they can go play with those toys. But exposing our kids, could you imagine? Like exposing your kids, that my parents like regularly get together and just adore God, like talk about how amazing, awesome God is. And they go at it with other people for like a while. And if you need to leave during that time, at a certain time you can leave. We're just going to open-end it and it ends when it ends. I know, Scott's gone charismatic, you know, here we go. But it's okay. We'll work through it. So, love to have you. God is, God is calling us out, brothers and sisters. 
We just went through a whole Acts on story of the scent. He's calling us out. He's calling us to be his people. One more illustration, I think, close. You know, um, they asked us, and we'll see if you guys can get this answer. What do you call something that is two parents and a bunch of kids, like hundreds of kids? What do you call that? Besides nightmares. What? Is it? Is it like hundreds of kids, hundred like people running around? That's, I would say it's more like an orphanage. Unfortunately, today's churches look way too much like orphanages. Brothers and sisters, we want to see you rise up. We want to see the King of God thrown upon your hearts and lives, calling you out to pursue God in all areas and all aspects of your life, of surrender to God. And it's so cool as I see that the elders, I hope you see them now as men, they can lead you in that. After what they've done over the last two months, I hope that you see that they can help lead us in that. And trust what God is laying on their hearts and moving in the direction they're to taking us. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, Lord, I look forward to Good Friday. I look forward to time for us to come together. Time for us to just profess our brokenness, not in a hopeless way, because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords, and you have authority over all sin. You have authority over all brokenness, and you are the God that has come to redeem us. And Lord God, I want to specifically pray for the people in, our, my, in this beautiful body of believers that have been deeply hurt. They have either been, you know, been abused sexually, or they have been abused physically or verbally. They've been deeply hurt, and the scar that remains is so deep and the wound hurts so badly, Lord God, that they feel right now that they could never, ever fully give that over to you. I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, would wash over them, and that they would feel that there is victory to be had in King Jesus, even over that. That the evil one that brought that upon them that hurt them so deeply like that, does not have control over them anymore. They're the children of God. They're free. Father God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives and you would unveil to us that you would shine the light on those areas that we've just kept hidden from you for so long and we've kept justifying our sin. Lord God, that we would surrender them to King Jesus, that Jesus would rule and reign in us. And that we wouldn't cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna to the highest. Out of 
misplaced or need-based worship that is based upon what we think we need, but rather we would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you have all authority over me. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Lord, I pray for all the churches in this valley right now. We're coming up on Passion Week and people are going to be coming in that have never met Jesus, have never been called to follow Jesus. And I pray that this week, many would begin their life with Jesus, following after him, surrendering their life to him. Move and work, Lord God, through the pastors, through Nick, through Chris, through Kyle, through Craig the brother down at the Berean Church, Lord God, that all these churches that are proclaiming the true gospel, I just pray that your hand would be upon these leaders. I pray upon your hand upon the church throughout the United States. I want to specifically lift up Jeff Banks and, and the church in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. I want to lift up specifically Xenia, um, Apex Community Church there. Lord God, that you would work there. And I want to pray for the church in China, Lord God, and the church in India. Lord God, this week, that as people question, as people wonder, why do the Christians hold so dearly to the resurrection? Why is this so significant? And people ask questions that Christians would be strong in their faith and would have Jesus as the king of their heart and they would boldly proclaim, because he has saved me from my sin and he can save you from your sin. Listen to his voice. Come and follow him. They would surrender their lives and follow Jesus. We thank you for we are church and the blessing they are to the church community. And I pray that you would multiply their work. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit.